Hello, and welcome to Capstan Live. We're the podcast that makes sure you pay the real estate taxes you owe and not a dollar more. If you own commercial real estate or advise someone who does, you're in the right place for a real talk about maximizing tax savings. Hello, welcome to another episode of Capstan Live. I'm Helena Carmel. The truth is, this isn't just another episode of Capstan Live. This episode is an all-star, action-packed, year-end, top 10 episode. That's right, we're going to go through the top 10 things you must know for TY 2021. Now, in order to get these top 10, I had to get in my top three. I'd like to welcome back to the pod, in no particular order, Bruce Johnson, Terry Johnson, and Zeeb Carmel. He might be my top one, actually. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for making time at this busy end of year to come on the pod. Hey, thanks for having us. You are welcome. <laughs> I've actually been looking forward to this because getting the three of us in the room at the same time Herding is next to a miracle. Hurting <laughs> cats, these three. No, seriously, these are busy people, and I really appreciate your time. They know more about real estate. They've forgotten more about real estate than I'll ever know. Let's put it that way. And let's dive right in. Top 10 things. Producer Aaron Strong in. We're going to put in a drum roll. Yes. Okay. Um, so I'd like to say in no particular order, but they kind of are in a particular order. Number 10. Bruce, will you start us off? What's the top 10, the number 10 thing to keep in mind for TY 2021? Well, let's talk about the expansion of the 179 rule, standard business deduction yes. limitations, which came about in the 1950s, but underneath the Tax Cuts for Jobs Act significantly expanded the type of assets that can be included in that. One being QIP defined assets, two being roof, and then we go down to HVAC, fire safety, and security systems. So mm -hmm. any type of improvements that associated with those type of assets can be 179 eligible. We also see that they've increased the amount per entity per tax year from, I think it was $550,000 in 2017 to this year, or for this filing year, it's $1,050,000, again, per tax entity per tax year. Wow, so for TY21, it's up to a million and fifty. dollars Right, but we just need to keep in mind that this is from a federal level. We okay. always have to keep a view on the individual states where these might be filed because there may be limitations. So for example, Pennsylvania only recognizes up to $25,000 and 179 expensing. Shaking my fist at Pennsylvania. Um, but obviously that's something that we here at Capstan can help you with no matter what state you're in, we've got your back and we can help you navigate this. Um, okay, number nine. Number nine is exciting. Number nine is something we've actually dealt with a lot this year. Terry, can you fill us in again um, about number nine? This is something we've seen a lot of this year, and I know you've dealt with it quite a bit. We absolutely have. And my number nine is tax-exempt property may not have to be exclusively depreciated using ADS. So just to give you a little backstory, we have been seeing a lot of nonprofit government-type tenants that are going into commercial space, whether it's office buildings retail yeah and we've seen so much of it that we put a little decoder together which is a flow chart of whether you use makers or ads so really helena it's all about drum roll please 
it's all about the lease term. Oh, yes, yes. Yes, and, and how the percentage that they are occupying in the space. So needless to say, the reason we say you don't might not have to do the whole thing as ADS, if let's say you've got a short lease term mm-hmm. and you, you don't have to, the building itself and the land improvements that are often commingled, you could, the building itself, the land improvements can be makers, which means you can take QIP, and but the bonus. personal property, and bonus, yes. but the personal property for that space must be ADS, and you've got to take a look at 125% times the lease term, including options, or using the ADS IRS tables, whichever is greater. So we have a, a decoder for this. If anyone's interested, just let us know and we'll pop it out to you. But it's very helpful when you're trying to figure out whether, because you've got to look at the personal property, the land improvements, the base building, and the QIP. Yeah, that's... And, and it can be a combination of makers and ADS. It's a little complicated. It's super complicated. Um, but actually, we have a whole amazing podcast about it. So if you'd like to hear more, go right back to that podcast. That was with Terry and Brian O'Sullivan. That was a winner. Um, and we, if let's shoot us an email, we're happy to send you out that document too, that decoder. Um, so really, yeah, it's too much to discuss now. But basically, what you're saying, Terry, is that tax exempt property doesn't mean you know the game's not over. There are ways that you might still be able to access bonus and QIP. Oh, it's a combination. It's a, yes, yes. A and combo. sometimes I might add that it might all be ADS, and yeah. you don't even want to do a cost seg on it. So you just have to be aware. True. There's a lot of scenarios. Right. There's a lot of scenarios. But wanted to bring that to everyone's attention because we know it's a big trend. We're seeing a lot, a lot of nonprofits in otherwise um, for-profit spaces. Okay, I'm gonna turn this over now to Zeev for number eight. Zeev, give us number eight. Well, I'm gonna talk about <clears throat> uh, a favorite topic of mine, and that Aww. is partial asset dispositions. Oh, uh, it's not it's as cute as I thought it was gonna it's be. It's a hot topic, especially for those who <laughs> have properties that they're doing renovations on. Because remember, it's wonderful to place renovations in service. That's a lot of dollars. But the assets that are demolished in the course of doing those renovations, those assets have value as well. Mm. And it's important to note that you can get a deduction for the assets that you remove, just like you can get a deduction for the new assets that you place in service. But there is a caveat. Caveat? Oh, yes. The caveat is that the deduction for the partial asset disposition can only be done in the tax year that the assets are removed. So let's just be clear about that. Let's say you have a property where you've done some demolition in 2021. Okay. And you're doing a rehab, but the rehab won't be placed in service until 2022. So the rehab is in next year. Okay. Next year's tax year. The deduction for the partial asset disposition has to be done for the 2021 tax year. So when the asset was taken out of service, not when the new asset that's gonna replace it is put into service. You got that right. All right, I I actually do got that right. That makes a lot of sense. So pad elections are hugely potentially lucrative, but you have to be timely about them. Yes. And Steve, I think comment too, I mean, don't you see sometimes where you'll be working on the the rehab or the renovation and and the second and the next year and realize that the panel election was missed i'm sure people missed out absolutely absolutely we try to alert our clients to this um obviously if we come in a little too late in the game in the cycle they may have already missed it and and that's unfortunately a lost opportunity so something people should always be thinking of and be aware of uh when they embark on a project 
Okay, thank you. Pad elections, super important, super timely, and we hate to see people miss out on, on money that could be getting back to them. So thank you for pointing that out, Steve. Um, number seven. This is a big one, Bruce, but I know you're capable of tackling it. The word recapture strikes fear into the hearts of men. But Bruce, I know you can help us. Well, let's lean, in, lean into the courage side here and talk about ways to kind of minimize that. First, I'll start with one strategy that Z was just talking about, pad elections. So, so long as they're done in a timely fashion, like we just finished the discussion on, you've got to do the pad election in the year the work was completed. There's a way that you, by writing off that remaining basis of assets that's been abandoned, demolished, or removed from service, you can be shielding the remaining basis or that, that benefit from recapture. Also tied to the tangible property regulations, another way to perhaps reduce your the effects of recapture is to use ex the expensing rules under the TPRs. Again, similarly, you have to do that in the year the work was done. So that's another way for you to write off an asset through that methodology. Uh, as Terry mentioned, it's another tool that we've had for a number of years, the, T the TPR flowchart. If you're interested, just let us know. Mm. Basically walks through the decision process of how you determine an activity as being eligible for expensing, as I just mentioned, or doing a pad election, as Zeev talked. And then finally, we look at the uh, involvement of perhaps a 1031 exchange. So when we look at a 1031 exchange and the benefits that it derives, you can use that to perhaps mitigate or, or, or eliminate recapture issues. Now, the, the issue with 1031 is, sorry folks, it's a little self-serving, but to get that benefit, you do have to do a cost irrigation study on a replacement property. So three little quick strategies that might help, again, mitigate, reduce, or eliminate altogether your recapture issues. But the bottom line is that even though these are just, these are some strategies, each one needs to be tested to your unique facts and circumstances with your CPA. Yes, so I was just gonna say, these are awesome and they're things you might be doing anyway and you might be able to use them to help mitigate your recapture issues, but it's always a big conversation with your CPA, anything with recapture. I would say just about everything that we talk about needs to be run by the tax professional just to make sure Absolutely. it passes muster. Absolutely. Thanks, Bruce. Um, since you already mentioned 1031 exchanges, let's go right back to you for number six. There was some exciting news in the world of 1031 exchanges this year. To an extent, there certainly mm. was. And what basically we have is a scenario where the IRS came and clarified what did the new Tax Cuts for Jobs Act really mean when it said that for a 1031 to be accepted, you have to carve out personal properties per the exchange basis. Well, what they did this year was they clarified that personal property, as we understand it as Section 1245 assets in the tax code, are actually considered real property for the purposes of 1031. So what does that mean? That means that we don't have to be as conscious of <clears throat> carving out or, or isolating those 1245 assets like carpeting or window treatments and things like that that you typically see in a cross-seg study as not having a direct impact on the the boot potential in a 1031 exchange calculation. Now, that being said, you do need to be aware of the intricacies of each state and how it defines personal property that might be in play. Again, as we just talked about, having the CPA involved in this discussion is super important so that whoever is doing the cost segregation study, be it one of Zeev's team members here at Capstan or not, 
make sure that if you're concerned at 1031 and this whole question of personal property and boot and whatnot, to be keeping the CPA involved in determining what's in and what's out. But overall, that's good news, right? I think so. I, it, I mean, it, overall, it did. Not, yes. that, not that we heard a lot of IRS inquiries on this, but it definitely helped clear up I some clouds so. okay. or, or confusion. And I also think that, just chiming in here, I also think that that's pretty much the way things had kind of the industry itself had gone in that direction mm -hmm. and understanding that there's inherently there's personal property that's part of the building yes and that it should it's really not what the intent was of the new tax law so i think this is a a good thing to get the clarification although i think most people had kind of come to that on their own if that mm. makes sense and if i could just cut another little detail that we're starting to see is just to be mindful of the whole amount of personal property that that you're actually carving out in an accelerated or in a cost segregation study. Because there is a safe harbor involved mm -hmm. with the 1031 to be aware of that if you have too much personal property, perhaps that could be challenging your 1031 calculation. Bruce won't toot his own horn, but I will. He is like Mr. 1031. He knows lots about them. He's smiling awkwardly. Eye roll, he's, eye roll. He's eye rolling, but I'm very impressed. He's explained 1031 and the nuances therein multiple times. And I, he, if you've got questions, Bruce is the guy. And actually, Bruce is the guy to talk to about our next, um, uh, the next item on our list too. Number five, Bruce, let's talk about EPAC 179D. This year it was made permanent and everybody rejoiced. But then we found out that they were changing some things and it was less exciting. Fill us in, Bruce. So essentially what they did, they did make this permanent, so it's no longer part of the annual tax extender question mark. Yay. So we've got that in our favor. But when we look at what they did change was they made it a lot more difficult to meet the, the, the benchmark goals. Boo. So essentially what they say is that you have to gauge the project's performance against the most current within two years of the data service for the asset or, or building, uh, the, the building code. So basically what's that done is it's challenged the ability for a project to meet the savings threshold. And primarily because when we look at building codes for most parts in the country, particularly the major metropolitan areas, they, LED lighting, for, for example, is part of code. So the savings, and that's a majority, where a majority of the savings typically come from, from these to help these projects perform, with that off the table, oh. it really challenges things. So people are having to go into exotic or very complicated and cost-intensive capital improvements to really generate the savings associated to make the, 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 the numbers work. Now, that being said, we do know that there's a lot of discussion on Capitol Hill to try and change this or correct it. Okay, be um, good. But new projects, particularly for this year and going forward, it might be a challenge the way things are written. We always have the ability to go to look back. Mm. And again, 179D and Terry, I think you're going to talk about 45L yes. in a few minutes. Um, both these programs were first in effect in 2006. So there's a lot of runway there to look at older projects that you as a developer owner or CPA might be finding on a depreciation schedule improvements or you see a new build and no 179 benefit, you can be looking at this 179D benefit. Right. Um, now, for a look back, in the case of 179D, we can fairly easily take advantage of that through a 3115. Mm -hmm. So anyways, just keep that in mind. Look backs are definitely in play. Okay. So, so we have a win. It's permanent now. 
but we have kind of a of a of a myth. Like it's a little bit more difficult, a lot more difficult, a lot more difficult to access yeah. the deduction at this yeah. point. But things might change, and we're hopeful at the holidays. Let's talk about something that hasn't changed actually the 45l tax credit as of the time of this recording december 15 2021 the 45l tax credit has not been extended so as of right now only properties placed in service between 2006 and the end of this year the next two weeks are eligible terry tell us more how does yeah, this so work is there is there hope of an extension well you know Helena, we see in the tax extenders bill every year, we sort of think we give up hope. Right. And then all of a sudden it will miraculously appear. I like that. And it's usually like in February. It's like so, a fun, yeah. <laughs> so the, the, everybody's kind of scampering yes. around trying to figure this out. But I, I think the, or it might be a year or two from now and then it's retroactive. Retroactive. So what I've been having a lot of conversations and just a reminder that 45L is a tax credit as opposed to a deduction for multifamily um nursing homes, home builders, that kind of thing. It's $2,000 credit per unit. Right. So you can, it's for example, if you're building like a 200 unit apartment building, which we see a lot of building going on right now in the industry, these are great credits. I mean, it's, you know, scoop them up and they're just really great. They're a little harder to reach uh, from a modeling standpoint of reaching, achieving 100%. Mm. But um, we do, and you can, like, let's say 80%. You get pass. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing. No, it's not all or nothing. So it could be 80%. And so it just depends, but it's, they're complicated and there is modeling required. So I just want to emphasize that this is available. It could be extended in the future, but it's a great little credit. And when you, when you said mentioned 2000, it goes back to 2006. It's a big difference though with 45L and 179D. Because where you can get the, use the form 3115 change in accounting method for 179D, that is not available for 45L. Ah. So you can only amend returns going back three years. And a lot of people don't like to amend returns. Uh-huh. So I mean, there's plenty of projects that we've been seeing that are three stories or less of that type of property. In which case? That you could do current year or you could do a, you know, you could do a amended return mm-hmm. if you wanted to. So. You know, crystal ball it. I have no idea if this is going to get extended. I think it's a really popular benefit, especially amongst the home builders, amongst the developers that are doing big multifamily development. We see it a lot also in the low-income housing tax credit world because they're buying properties and then doing major, and oftentimes the rehabs are a higher basis than Uh the actual acquisition. So those tend to be perfect because they're redoing all the systems. And, and doing gut renovations. It is a great little credit. Like, I love the way you described it. It's just a great little credit. And I, I hope we'll hear good news. I mean, maybe the IRS will have like a happy surprise for us. Yeah, well, know? one of the things, Helena, we're doing is we're just keeping a list. We know projects that are, say, coming into service in the next year or two. We keep them on a list. Genius. So that we know if it gets extended, that we've already been told these, um, you know, that folks want to have this credit if it's available. Genius. Oh, I'm so sorry. I misspoke earlier. I said the IRS um, might, might have a happy surprise for us. I meant Congress, the people who make the laws. You'd think I would know that considering I've been helping my kid with his constitution project for like weeks now. But I meant Congress. My apologies. I misspoke. Um, okay, so yes, let's hope that we see that little credit back in action. Um, 
Okay, number three. We're down at number three already. This is going so quickly. I want to send it back to Zeev. Honey, tell us more. Your cost sec report is not just one and done. You don't just put it on the shelf and let That's it right. go to dust, right? I a, feel like people a, don't always understand right. that. A cost sec study is a living, breathing document, much like the Constitution. <laughs> it can be used. <laughs> it can be used in, in myriad, uh, myriad ways. And not just for the immediate cost seg value that you get from it. And I'd like to talk about two things, uh, two areas, I should say, uh, where it's particularly useful even after the cost seg is done. I talked a little bit earlier about partial asset dispositions and how when you remove an asset uh, in the course of demolishing uh, a portion of a building to do renovations, that asset has value that should be written off. But how do you know what that value is? Mm. Well, if you've done a cost seg study, that takes away some of that uncertainty. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'll just use a, a current example. You know, we're working right now on a shopping center that we had done a cost seg for back in 2013. Okay. And the renovations that are taking place right now include re replacing all of the storefront windows, the whole facade, uh, portions of the exterior wall, and redoing, uh, redoing the finishes. And all of these things are 39-year assets that were categorized back in 2013 when we did the cost seg. Mm -hmm. So we have isolated values for these assets in the report. Now I can take this report, which is eight years old, I can dig up the value of these assets and the client this year, in the year 2021, because that's when they did the demolition, are gonna get a value of you know a million dollar deduction or more uh, from the fact that they knew how much these assets were worth. So that's a, an example of, of reaching back in time and using a cost seg study to give you benefit now. Another area uh, where a client can really benefit is uh, when it comes to, let's say, current uh, work uh, or money being spent on renovations or repairs or things like that. Our cost seg studies will have a unit of property table. And if a client wants to determine whether their spend is something that can be expensed as a repair uh, or expensed as immaterial or non-betterment, they can use our cost seg table or our unit of property table to make that determination. Okay. So these are just a couple examples of how cost segregation studies can be used in ways other than just purely cost segregation. And those unit of property tables will be updated. They can be, uh, yeah, can be updated. Right. They, they can be updated right. after, uh, for example, after demolition occurs and uh, the basis is reduced we can reduce the unit of property amounts by the appropriate uh, so, dollar amount. So your report can evolve as your Absolutely. property evolves Absolutely. and you can continue to gain from it. Okay, yes. that's awesome. I, I wanted to make that clear. Um, that is that is huge. I mean, it's not an investment that sits on the shelf. It, it, it really can grow with you and with your property. Um, okay, number two, uh, number two I love. Number two might be my favorite thing you must know. And it's simply that together is better. Um, we've been talking a lot this year about a comprehensive track strategy and all like there's so many pieces that can go into the puzzle and a lot of times people you know they get focused on something new and they forget about the old things or they get in the weeds with something and they don't even think about I don't know energy there's so many ways that you can utilize these different strategies in tandem to really maximize your benefit. All strategies old and new can really combine and we, we see a lot of it and we see really extraordinary savings. Do you guys have any thoughts, any reflections? Well, I think that, you know, it's interesting to me as these 
the legislation comes down the pike that you kind of focus on what's the latest and greatest. But so often they build on the legislations. For example, the TPRs that came out right. in 2014 that Z was talking about. Like, nobody really talks about it that much. We talk about it. But when you, we have very sophisticated clients that utilize that and are very aware of it. And when you see the power of, like, what Z was just discussing with dispositions, for example, or expensing assets instead of capitalizing, it's, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. Yeah, from, from the way I see things, we really have to have are living in kind of a golden age from a, a tax Ooh. strategy perspective for I commercial real that. estate. Now, a lot of these things we've talked about, they're all complementary. So when we look at accelerated depreciation, we look at 179, we look at the, the TPRs, and we look at energy, energy tools. They're all complementary. They can work off of one another. All of them are triggered by one thing, capital events. And those capital events can be what? Newly constructed, acquired, renovation, mm -hmm. combination thereof. So there's a lot of complementary uh, status between these tools. But the one thing that I see is there's a lot more complexity mm -hmm. involved in being able to leverage this. I mean, and Zeev talked a lot about the paddle actions or Terry talking about 45L. These aren't things that we can just jump into where you as a taxpayer can jump into at the last minute. You really need to be planning these things out. And particularly for the time sensitive things, both of those I particularly chose paddle actions ah, and 45L, yes. is they're really time sensitive. As you heard Terry, you can't go back too far with 45L. With paddle actions, some people like to think of that 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 window when we had ghost asset distribute uh, uh, write-offs. That was that was a, a narrow window for us. We don't have that anymore. So again, that level of complexity that we have exists, but the opportunity to gain benefit is can be very, very right. significant. Particularly exciting, I think, also is the overlap that happens between different services. We've had projects where we've done, let's say, a look-back cost seg, a partial asset disposition, 179 expensing, and 179D all in the same... That is crazy! All for the same property all at once. So, wow. you know, you've, you, you can, you can uh, uh, have a triple or quadruple benefit that a client can get, a taxpayer can get, from one property in one shot. The total package. Yes. And you know, one of the things I think that I really enjoy about working with Bruce and Zeev and the three of us is that there's so much strategy. And also you pull in the engineers in these discussions. There's so much strategy from what we're talking about right now. Like yeah. you don't just like, oh, we're doing a cost seg once and done. It's really about what asking the right questions, fact finding, figuring out what the end game is what's the exit strategy how long are they going to own the property are they planning on doing renovations and you know when you start seeing all these tax strategies come together as, as z was saying and overlapping it's mind-blowing really sometimes and i love that as far as what i do i yes. love those conversations and the way we banter with each other and we'll re we'll we'll you know grab each other in the hall and say, let's talk about this. What could we do here? And so there's a, that sort of interesting piece to me that's really strategy and tax strategy where we work with a CPA as in tandem to make sure that we're maximizing that benefit. And I think that's remarkable about what you guys do is so many, it would be so easy to like miss the forest for the trees with this because there are so darn many trees and the trees are so complicated, but you guys somehow see each and every tree but you never miss the forest. Like you guys have a good, just a great overall 
few and you have the details, but you never lose the big picture. And you guys really end up with, with a comprehensive, thoughtful, tailored strategy for everybody. The more that I, I listen to you guys and see how you approach projects, it's really quite impressive. Okay. Number one, the time is here. The moment. Number one, Terry, I'm going to send it over to you. Number okay, I one. Think, I think that, um, thanks, Selena. I think Zeev and I are going to tag team on this uh, one. And I think it's all of our favorite topics is yes. the bonus depreciation, which since, since the new tax law came out towards the end of 17, we've been in this 100% bonus on anything that we move into five, seven, or 15 year assets, you know, a 20 year or less life. So, what's I find fascinating lately is that you'll be talking to somebody and you might be bidding on a project that's going to go into service in 2024 and you have to tell them, oh, in 2024, the bonus depreciation is going to be at 60%. And like, what do you mean? How could that be? It's not going to be 100%. So I think it's a good reminder that it's set to go down by 20% a year starting in 23. So for 2022, we're still at 100% bonus. So I think the message here is to get those projects in the queue, mm -hmm. get them done where you're getting the 100% bonus and it does start sliding down by 20% a year to where we're at 20% in 2026. Right, and as a reminder, by the way, the TCJA that came into effect in 2018 allows for acquired properties to have bonus depreciation uh, applied to them for their short life assets, uh, which was never the case before. So. Um, that, that is a benefit, not just for what we would consider to be our standard type of cost seg properties, but also for properties which maybe in the past we wouldn't have even looked at. Ah. Smaller properties that don't have a high basis, and you would think that the benefit wouldn't be that big, but with 100% bonus, it's a game changer. Right, and think about, Zee, why don't you talk a little bit about QIP? Yes, right, so if there are property existing properties where you've got renovations going on, uh, to the interior areas that are non-structural, those renovations have a 15-year uh, life. In, uh, in those renovations uh, will be classed with a 15-year life, and and classed as qualified improvement property or QIP. Um, it's important to note, by the way, that not every interior renovation, or not every element of an interior renovation is automatically 15-year QIP. Mm -hmm. um, we've run into tenant improvements where there is building structural work that goes on in, in conjunction with the TI. And so it's not a, you know, a slam dunk. You still need to have somebody take a look at those assets, make sure that what's QIP is appropriately classed and what's 39 years appropriately classed. And of course, QIP does get bonus. So whatever the bonus rates are will also apply to QIP. And just to kind of dovetail into Zeev's little talk on QIP, remember QIP is so long as we fit the definition, right? If you exclude the exclusions of um, structural work, expansion to the building, Correct. or elevator or Correct. escalator work, is also 179 eligible. Kind of getting back ah, to the level point. of complementary as well as complexities involved in, in kind of working with, with um, these strategies. Right, a perfect example would be roofing. Roofing is not QIP eligible, but roofing can be uh, can fall under 179 in certain circumstances. Right, and if you do a renovation, as you talked about, you could not only potentially write off the, the new work as 179 eligible, but also do a paddle action on the old. <gasps> so you think you about could. really the, the, the um, incredible benefits that can be leveraged through these. 
But as I talked about before, it's all about having the time, particularly for the tax professional, having the time to kind of sift through the data mm -hmm. to be able to determine whether or not this makes sense for this particular tax filing. Um, one thing also to add, if you want more about QIP, the very first episode of this podcast was about QIP. So go back to episode one. I think it was called QIP. I wish everything could be QIP. That's what it was called. And it really goes through what is and what is not QIP. Um, but regarding bonus depreciation, I think the take-home message is if you want to take advantage of that 100% bonus depreciation, now is the time to think about your, what you're acquiring, what you're renovating, what you're going to be constructing. Um, Okay, I think. If I could just add one last thing to everybody listening. Um, for those of you that have sat in on our fairly frequent, we try to be frequent webinars or ah, discussions. Frequent. Just remember that we glossed over a lot of, a lot of these things. So uh, there are, are little nuances to things that you just want to make sure that, well, Capstan was saying QIP eligibility, or I can 179 everything. Well, in both of those cases, we have to be careful that that's for non-residential application, not residential. Uh -huh. So this is an example. Everything that you're, you, you might have heard here, certainly we can help kind of navigate some high-level conversation. But again, it gets back to the tax professional being significantly important in this decision process to make sure whatever you're thinking of is eligible and defensible if you choose to use it. Thank you for the clarification, Bruce. You're totally right. That was 40 minutes on subjects that these people could speak probably for four days nonstop about. So it was very much a high level, and I know that Terry, Bruce, and Zeev are all here. If you guys have any questions about any of these top 10 issues, how they might apply to you, or anything else that we didn't talk about. Um, I learned a lot today, and listener, I hope that you did too. Um, if you like what you heard, why not subscribe? We're on Google Podcasts, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or just go to our website. You know what it is capstantax.com slash podcasts. Um, Terry, Bruce, Steve, thank you guys so much for making the time at this difficult time of year to join us on the pod. Um, Aaron Strong and our producer, thank you for all of your technical expertise this year. Thank you for putting up with me all year. Um, I'm Helena Carmel from the entire Capstan team, wishing you a very happy, healthy new year and a successful, productive, and smooth TY21. Um, We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Capstan Live. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. Visit our website at capstantax.com for more info on everything we discussed today, plus breaking news, industry blogs, and more. Have a profitable day.